0: You are listening to an audio sermon from
1: Sovereign Grace Church Toronto. For more information, visit sawgraceto.org. Well, today we have the uh, the wonderful privilege and joy of uh, having Timon Lau uh, preach the word to us. Timon. Is an intern here at our church. He's been interning at our church since June of this year. Um, and he, he's become a wonderful friend and servant uh, in our church. Um, many of you wouldn't know this about him, but uh, he is behind the scenes serving me in a hundred different ways with administrative tasks, with uh, babysitting my kids. Uh, he really is kind of like my personal slave. Um, and uh, he's rejoiced at that calling. Um, he does get paid, so he's not a slave, though, I mean, if we work at his hourly rate, you know, it probably amounts to something like, you know, a few cents per hour. Um, so we're particularly grateful for him. Tim is actually filling in today uh, for Pastor Tim. Pastor Tim was, planning to, was scheduled to preach uh, this Sunday. Uh, but because of some unexpected uh, personal appointments, uh, we, we, uh, we asked Tim if he would fill in and to serve our church and the Kerr family, and uh, he happily accepted that assignment. So please join me in welcoming Tim and Lau.
0: Thank you, Pastor Josh and Pastor Tim, for trusting me with your pulpit and to feed your flock with the Word of God. I know it's a uh... It's an honor and a privilege, and it's something I don't take lightly, so thank you for the opportunity. If you have your Bibles, please open it to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Please stand as I read scripture. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of hearing once again from your word that we can worship you in this country free from persecution. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes once more that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Would you be pleased by the power of your Spirit to show us your glory again in the face of Christ, your Son? I pray that you would help uh, this poor preacher to handle the Word correctly, handle this Word of truth correctly, um, and to feed your blood-bought sheep well. Um, I pray that everything that is said would bring salvation to those who are lost in their sin that it would bring joy and comfort to your people, and most of all, that it would exalt Christ our Savior. We thank you and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. So in my younger days, um, I used to work out, exercise, strength training. You can't really tell much anymore. But um, back in the day, you, know, if you, if you're, if you if any of you exercise or do any of that, you'll know that you come to a point where you want to give up where the going gets tough. You can't bang out that last rep. So what I did was I thought of a creative way to continue to motivate myself. So if I was doing something like a, a plank, just holding a plank or push-up, you know, I would think that you know, I'm spanning, you know, there's a cliff here, a cliff here, and I'm in between, and someone I love has to walk across my back. And if I don't hold it up, they're going to they're gonna die. Um, or if I was doing, you know, a pull-up, I would imagine, you know, those movies where someone's hanging off the edge of a cliff, someone's holding onto your leg, and if I don't pull up, they're, they're going to fall down that cliff. Now, the, book of the author to the book of Hebrews, how does he encourage the Christians who are going through real trial and real difficult times? And in this book, he, he gives us the foundation For endurance in the Christian life. He answers. What is the foundation for endurance in the Christian life? And we see in these four verses. The answer to that question. And that is the aim of what I want to communicate to you today. And the answer. The aim of this passage is that looking to Christ. Looking to Christ. Is the foundation for endurance in the Christian life. Looking to Christ is the foundation for endurance in the Christian life. Our sermon will have three points. First, God has spoken. Second, who Christ is, who the Son is, the person of Christ. And third, what the Son has done, the work of Christ. So God has spoken who the Son is and what he has done. So the first point. So look with me again at verses 1 in the beginning of verse 2. We're going to see two different time periods And we're going to see two different agents of revelation. So let's look again. So it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the first period, in a time before, he spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The prophets by Jewish tradition are the authors of the historical and the prophetic books. So it includes people like Moses, like David. We think of how God spoke to his people through miracles, through Moses, in the ten plagues, in the parting of the Red Sea. We think of people like Ezekiel and Hosea who had to act out what God was speaking to the people. Ezekiel had to, had to shave his hair off to show how Israel was to be destroyed. Hosea had to marry a prostitute to show how Israel had been unfaithful to God as his bride. And the Old Testament prophets—they did two things. They could, what they did can be summed up in two things: foretelling, what, what foretelling in the sense of what's happening in the future, and forthtelling. This is the word of the Lord. And we see that they they told of different things in condemning the nation. Of Israel, but they also spoke of hope that would happen in the future. They said that Israel had bad shepherds who were concerned about feeding themselves. They did not care for the flock. But they also told of a time that there will be a shepherd who will tenderly care for his flock. They pointed to the sacrifices of the people of Israel and how they were coming with unclean hearts and they were worshiping other gods. But they also told of a time that there would be a final sacrifice for sin. And, and lastly, they told of, in the time of the kings and the judges, they said, the kings are bad. They are not leading the people. They are not the kings of Deuteronomy 17 who write out a copy of the law and meditate on it day and night. But they foretold that there would be a king who will reign with justice and with righteousness. Now, that was the time before and then now if we look at our text again in verse 2, the time changes and the agent of Revelation changes. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And in the Son is the final fulfillment of the words of the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ and culminates in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, we read that all the promises of God find their yes, their amen in Christ. In the Son, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we have the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know, and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Such a different contrast to the bad shepherds of Israel. We have the final sacrifice for sin. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have a final sacrifice that is sufficient for sin. And in Christ, in the Son of God, we have the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Think about, you know, if you were down, if, let's say if you were downtown Toronto at the Toronto Inf- International Film Festival, and you saw, you know, your favorite actor or actress in, in your favorite TV show, and they called out to you and they spoke, hey, I, I want to speak to you. And imagine how, you know, how giddy you would feel, how, you know, st- starstruck you would be. Um, or if you're at the Scotiabank Arena, one of your favorite athletes, you know, calls out and wants to speak to you. Um, or, you know, you're at Together for the Gospel or the TGC conference and, and John Piper or D.A. Carson, you know, beckons you over and wants to have a chat. Think about, think about that. But then think about this, that God... The transcendent God of the universe, the creator of all things, has spoken to us through his word and through his son. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're sitting here and you have not yet trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, what does this mean for you? The fact that God has spoken. A couple things. The fact that God has spoken means that your life has purpose and meaning. The Bible tells us that God created you in His image. You are not just a a collision of atoms that are put together, as the world might tell us, but you are fashioned and created with care. And your purpose is to glorify Him and to point others to show His glory and His creativity. Second, you are loved. God has spoken to you. He has initiated that relationship with you. Think back to the time when you were um, a kid at the, at the playground. Maybe there's some kids here who can, who can have gone through this. You know, Someone has gone up to you, for, if, if you're fortunate enough, and said, you know, do you want to be friends? Someone initiated that relationship with you. The fact that God has spoken means that you are loved. But also, God has spoken that you are broken, that you and this world that he has created is broken and not the way it should be. You are not receiving the love that he has shown to you, and you are not accomplishing the purpose for which he created you for. And if you are my brother and sister in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are trusting currently in Christ for your salvation and your righteousness and His righteousness, what does this mean for us that God has spoken? The fact that we are in relationship with God should bring in our hearts a deep sense of gratitude and thankfulness. Each one of us are sitting here because he has spoken to us through His Word and spoken to us. In Christ, We know the Bible tells us we would, have, we would have never sought him in a million years. We have, you know, the song we sing, um, I was blinded by my sin, had no, you know, tears to, or grace to hear your voice, but then your spirit gave me life. We would have never sought him in a million years. And now, in Christ, being in relationship with the Father, we have a Father who is never coming home late from work. We have a Father who is always there we have a friend who is never too busy for us or who is on the other side of the world there are no you know if you you skype call them or facetime them there's there's no drop calls and there's no poor connections with this friend and we have a helper who dwells within us changing us from one degree of glory to another and all this should bring in our hearts and minds a great thankfulness for being in relationship with the transcendent god of the universe And then the second thing, how does God speaking through his son help us endure in the Christian life? For those of us that are experiencing feelings of guilt over sin, who have a guilty conscience, who feel that, you know, I keep keep sinning, how could God possibly love me and how could God accept me? What has God spoken to you through his son? He says that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those of us who experience loneliness, who who feel that all their friends have, have left them, that there is no one caring for me, what has God spoken to you through his son? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. For those of us wrestling with anxiety, who have big life decisions to make, Um, who are worried about, you know, what school will they attend after grade 12? What job will I choose? Who will I marry? Will I marry? All of these things, what has God spoken to you through his son? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart. And in me, you will find rest for your souls. And for those of us who are going through suffering and and we know that many of us here are what has God spoken to us through his son that would help us endure in the life God has in store for us our savior says in the world you will experience tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world and praise God that all these promises all these truths are ours until God calls us home that's the first point. God has spoken. Now the second point is who the Son is, the person of Christ. So look with me again at verse 2. So it says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. We've had two time periods, and now we'll see seven or eight different descriptors of who this Son is. And the first one on this list is the heir of all things things. You know, some of us um, are going to inherit our our fathers or grandfathers their their watches or their some kind of timepiece, or inherit our our mothers or grandmothers some piece of treasured jewelry. But the Son inherits all things. He's the heir of all things. He inherits all creation from the Father. Psalm two tells us that the nations are his heritage and the ends of the earth will be his possession. But even more than that, the heir of all things will own and will be his, the entire universe and the world to come, the new heavens and the new earth. For those of you who have watched The Lion King, there's this scene where um, Mufasa, who is the head of the Lion Pride, takes his son Simba to the top of a hill. Uh, Simba's going to be the next king. And he says, you know, son, look, everything that the light touches will be yours. But I think Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said it even better than this. This is a quote that I'm sure many of you have heard before. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Everything in all creation belongs to the heir of all things. So that's the first thing we see, the heir of all things. And then if we look again at verse 3... We see that he is the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God, we could spend hours, we could spend days, we'll spend all eternity contemplating what the glory of God is. But in, in a simple, general way in which language cannot fully describe, it's the manifold perfections of his character. It's the harmony of all his, of all his attributes coming together in one infinitely personal being. I think as, as John Piper says it, I kind of paraphrased it. But... He is the radiance of the glory of God, and this word, this word "radiance" here has 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 two meanings. One is that of of something emitting from a source, something originating from a source. Think of light and heat coming from the sun. But this second, the second meaning, I think, is better better fits what we're looking at here, and that is that of reflecting something hitting something and reflecting. And who the sun is, the radiance of the glory of God, is that he is a perfect image bearer. As the thing we can imagine is a perfectly polished mirror and a perfect reflection of who that is. Or think back to you know science experiments in grade school where you know the teacher uh, turned off all the lights, had a shaft of light come through a prism, and then we see all the colors of the visible light spectrum. That is what the reflecting looks like. I think people who are really care- careful about science. I think the technical term is refracting, but I think reflecting serves our purposes here. So in Jesus, we see the fullness of God. We see his justice. We see his mercy, his love, his wisdom, his patience, his faithfulness. We see the completeness of his divine majesty in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 tells us that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and we have knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The sun is the radiance of of the glory of God. And lastly, we see, continuing on in verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 1.15, as, as Brian read for us, says, he is the image of the invisible God. In the incarnation, God who is invisible came on earth, and what was visi- invisible became visible. Think of if you have a, if you have a stamp, you know, whether it's for work, a date stamp, or arts and crafts, we press it into an ink pad and we press it into a piece of paper, but sometimes the, the, the stamp on the paper doesn't fully represent what is on the stamp. But in Jesus, we have someone who is 100% God. We have someone who is true God of true God, as the Nicene Creed tells us. And what the author of Hebrews is communicating to us is that in Christ, we see God. To see God is to see the Father, using John's language. So that is who the Son is, the person of Christ. Now, if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, what does this mean for you? As you see who the Son is, as you see who Christ is, what does this mean for you? Your brokenness, your brokenness that we talked about, stems from the fact that you are in open defiance to this Christ, the one who is the heir of all things. You, like all of us, have been, were born a rebel from birth, and you do not bend the knee to the king of the universe. And your brokenness also stems from being a faulty glory reflector, from not accomplishing the purpose for which God made you. You were meant to reflect his glory, but instead, consciously or subconsciously, you draw attention to yourself. You're caught up with turning other people's attention on to you instead of at God, to whom all glory and honor is worthy. And we know in scripture that God, being the God of the universe, being necessarily the greatest being that we can possibly conceive of he will not and cannot give his glory to another. Now, if you are my brother and sister in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ, turning in repentance, trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior, what does this mean for us as we see the person of Christ? How does the person of Christ give us faith for endurance in the Christian life? As we see that he is the heir of all things, we remember that we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to another. What does the Heidelberg Catechism tell us? You know, what is my only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but both with body and soul, both in life and in death, belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Who we are and what we are and what we have belongs to God. We are all part of the blood-bought church of God. He ransomed us from slavery to sin and death, and now we are slaves of him. Who we are and what we have does not belong to us, but the master, the savior who ransomed us. Our physical bodies, our, our, our time, our intellect, our resources, our aspirations, all of these belong to the creator. And we are merely stewards here to take care of what God has entrusted to us. Think of the parable of the talents, those people had the five, two, and one talent. They didn't own them, but they were stewards of what God has given. So in light of this, in light of this gospel truth that what we have is not ours, but is, belongs to the one who ransomed and redeemed us, how does that influence us? So I want you to ask, what or who do you hold on to as if it belongs to you? What or who do you hold on to as if it belongs to you? Is it your time? You know, saying I I deserve to spend my time how I want to. A a little while ago, Pastor Josh um, was teaching us about time and that our time is really not ours; it belongs to the Lord. Is it your resources? You know, I've I've earned this money, so it is. I get to spend it how I want to. Is it your is it your future, your dreams? you know this is how i planned my life to be you know wanting to be married have kids be in this house you know how could god take that from me and as we ask that think about how different our lives would be if we understood that all we are and all we have belongs to christ who is the heir of all things and secondly as we see the radiance of his glory that christ is the radiance of god's glory we remind ourselves That we exist to reflect God's glory. That's the prime purpose of of what God has created us to do. And we look to Christ to see how to single-mindedly, how to wholeheartedly glorify God. We we try, don't we? We we try to, to glorify God in all that we do and say, but we are smudged and cracked mirrors. But in the process of sanctification, in the spirit working to make us, turn us from one degree of glory to another, he is making us be better glory reflectors. So ask, ask, I want you to ask yourself, as saints saved by grace, how are you actively involved in your sanctification to be more like Christ and glorify him? How are you Working out what God has worked in? How are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit, taking part of the means of grace to grow in Christ likeness and love Him? Are you allowing brothers and sisters to, to speak into your life to sharpen you? you know, our, our small groups, our, our tags, are, are a great place where that happens. And I want to speak specifically to, to the children and, and the young people who grow up in this age where technology is, is rampant. You know, are, are you more concerned with, with swiping your phones than flipping the pages of your Bible? Slowly slowly imbibing the culture, um, the values and the mindset of the world as, as Pastor Tim reminded us on prayer meeting this week. Is your joy increasingly found in eternal matters or temporal things? And for all of this to be glory reflectors, we, we, we need help, don't we? And for this, again, we look to Christ, We see the example that he set and learn from him. So that's our second point, who Christ is. And lastly, the third point is what the Son has done, the work of Christ. So we, if we look back in verse 2, we'll see the first one. So it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. In Genesis 1, we see all three members of the Trinity active in creation. We have God who created, we see the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters, and as God spoke, John 1 tells us that that, that word is Christ. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were created through him and for him, as we read in Colossians one. And I think sometimes as we you know, start our Bible reading plans in, in Genesis and only get so far, as we read Genesis over and over and over again, we lose the wonder of God speaking things into existence, something that our minds can't even fathom and no one has ever seen. In the sun, God created the world. And then if we look at verse 3, we see that he also upholds the universe by the word of his power. He does not just create the universe and just let it go kind of like a top, but he sustains it. He is before all things, and in him, in Christ, all things hold together. We've probably seen videos of you know, people putting a stick and then spinning a plate and do- doing multiple of those, and you know, every now and then they have to give a little turn to keep it going. But instead of having to run around and give a little spin every now and then, the Son sustains everything by his powerful word. By the power of Jesus' word, atoms hold together. Our hearts continue to beat. The ordering of the galaxies continues the entire course of human history that will culminate in worldwide worship. This is sustained by the powerful word of the Son of God. And then next, continuing on in verse 3, after making purification for sins. The book of Hebrews talks a lot about Jesus acting as priest and mediator, and this is the first time we see in the text that there is a hint of that. In the Old Testament, in, in the first half of the Bible, the priest would keep offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. There's blood was continually dripping down the altar because of the many sins and they would say forgive your people God as we present these offerings cleanse us from our sin but that system pointed to something greater that no mere human could make purification for sins and then we have Jesus who not only stands before God as the mediator but he is himself the sacrifice for sin Sin that condemns man before a holy God. Sin that has enslaved mankind since the time of Adam. Sin that tears families apart. Sin that stains every single cell in our body. Sin that is a stench in the nostrils of holy God. And Jesus did on that cross what no human could do or wanted to do. As he lay hanging on that cross, he said, Father, all the sins of every man, woman, and child Put that on my shoulders. All the hate, the idolatry, the pride, the the, the lust, the, the greed, all of these sins, put them on my shoulders. I will offer the final sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can provide complete cleansing for sin. And died he did on that cross. And it was his blood that turns us as white as snow as we believe in him. But that's not the end of the story. We, we read in 1 Corinthians 15, he died according to the scripture, he was buried on the third day according to the scriptures, and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And in this last part of our passage, we see what happens next. So in verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The son sat down because his work is finished. The priest had to continually stand before God and offer sacrifices. But there is no more standing for the great high priest. Think, think of, you know, after, we, after you finish a long day of work, you come home the last thing you want to do is you know, stand in front of the sink, wash some dishes, or do some laundry. But as you come home, you want to sit on the couch and relax because your day of work is done. And because of what Christ has done on the cross in making a once-for-all purification for sins, he sits down at the right hand of God. The way to God's holy presence is now forever open for those that would place their trust in him. And he takes his rightful place as king of kings and lord of lords. What do we read in Philippians 2? We see Christ humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of this sacrifice of his humility, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of of Jesus, the King and King and Lord of Lords, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The one who sits on God's right hand is not just anyone. He is the creator, the sustainer, the heir of all things. He is the Savior and King, and it is to this Son of God, to this Christ that we give our worship. Now if you're not if you're not a Christian if you have not trusted in this son you've heard today the good news of the gospel you've heard that God has made and sustained you and this universe through his son but we you and I have rebelled against our creator and our king and not only are your actions tainted but your very nature is stained with sin. And as a result, death and eternity in hell await you. But the good news is, as you've heard today, that Jesus has made purification for sins. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. No way to cleanse yourself. There's no you're not able to just, you know, wash your hands and then sit at God's dinner table. But in Christ, he has taken the penalty Of separation from God on your behalf. He has tasted death for you that you might have life in Him. And He has made the only way open to be a friend and adopted son or daughter of the King. And all you can do is in response is to trust on what Jesus has done for your behalf. God has spoken to you today through His Son, and it is our hope and prayer. That God, in His mercy, will give you the gift of faith and repentance to trust in Him for life. Now, lastly, for again, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, what is what does the work of Christ mean for us? What does it mean for us to be um, a gospel centered, to have a gospel centered culture, to be the household of God, as as Pastor Tim is, uh, Pastor Josh is, is is leading us through in the Book of 1 Timothy? What we do is we rest together in the finished work of Christ at. Calvary. We all know that we suffer in some way. We all struggle in some way to live holy lives that are pleasing to God. We live in in a fallen world that sometimes falls on us. We fight our flesh daily. The desires of our flesh are are, are so strong. We fight the devil who prowls around like a lion seeking to devour us. So look at me and, and, and look around you all of us struggle with sin and suffering. And if you aren't now, the Bible tells us that you will. So what is the mindset that we have in light of this gospel truth? What is the mindset that we have? And it's something that, thankfully, I hear a lot of here in this church. And that is we are all sinners saved by grace. But we are still, every day, in need of that same grace. And the result is as we rest in the finished work of Christ, as we see our justification before a holy God, the result is vulnerability in sharing our lives with one another. So in light of this, I have, I have an encouragement for you all. You know, Joanne and I have only been here for um, about four months, and we see this happening um, the first person that we had from this church over at our house you know we were eating dinner i don't i don't remember what we were eating but the thing that sticks out in my mind is we were just talking about i don't even remember but he 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 suddenly was just open about the struggles that he was having this is what i am this is the sin that i'm struggling with and i'd like you to pray for me and that was the only thing i remember from that meeting and i think that characterizes a lot of what Joanne and I see and hear as we talk to people and get to know each other, that the gospel has taken root, that the gospel is seeping into the lives of the relationships that we have. So I want you to think, if you you aren't doing this right now, rest in the finished work of Christ. Trust that no one can judge you anymore because God has already pronounced the judgment in Christ. And if you are doing this with people, Continue to do this, persevere in caring for one another, in in pointing each other to the gospel. It's, it's It's not always easy to take other people's burdens to care for them, but we know that this pleases God and he will supply strength in the Spirit. And as we do so, this is not only for us, because as we love each other with the love that God has loved us, we proclaim to a watching world that we are his disciples. So the picture I want, I want to, to leave you with um, as saints saved by grace as we run this race that God has in store for us. We're running the race together. We are weary saints. We are tired. We see a brother or sister struggling, being tired. What do we say to them? We say, brother, sister, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Come, let me point you to the love of our Savior. Look to Christ. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. I thank you for um, what Christ has done on the cross for our behalf that we could not do ourselves. We thank you for making a way open to know you through the Son who is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, I thank you for those who do not yet believe in you that you have brought here today. I thank you for your love for them, for speaking to them through your word. Father, I pray that as they think about these things that you would begin to work um, in their heart to show them their need for you. Give them a, um, a burden, a, a desire that only your spirit can bring about to turn to Christ, to turn from sin and to trust in what Christ has done for them in the cross. Father, I pray for um, my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for um, the many evidences of grace um, that I see and hear um, each day. I thank you that you have saved them. I pray that you would um, continue to comfort them um, by your Son, by the gospel that has saved each one of us. May we continue to love one another as you have loved us and so show the world that, you are, that, that we are your disciples um, and proclaim to a watching world that you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. We thank you and pray
1: all this in your name.